Welcome to Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs looking to grow their business in a healthy, sustainable way. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and business advisor. Each week, you will learn actionable steps to streamline your processes, increase your profits, and make a bigger impact as a purpose-driven leader. Join me in conversations with CEOs and renegades in digital media, marketing, advertising, and design. Want to ignite your passion for business? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome to Get the Balance Right podcast. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. On today's show, we are talking about pivots. Ugh, pivots. Oh no. Let's face it. Due to this pandemic, we are all suffering from pivot fatigue. Ugh. The word pivot has been so overused in the last year. It's probably making you cringe just hearing me say the word pivot. Good news, the vaccine is getting into more arms and the world is heading to a new normalcy. One of the major lessons learned from all of this pivots and all that jazz is that as business owners, we have to be nimble and prepared. Part of this preparation is to have solid leadership in your organization and a devoted, inspired team that will help you when things get tough. My guest today is Julia Becker-Collins. She is the Chief Operating Officer at Vision Advertising, which is a full-service marketing agency that was founded in 1999. Ooh, like party like it's 1999. With Julia at the helm, over the course of the last year, this agency has survived the COVID pivot, all while Julia was discovering she had cancer and she dealt with the aftermath. On the show, you'll hear about how she was able to handle all of this so successfully. Personally, I think she's a superhero disguised as a human. Besides being able to beat cancer and lift massive weight, she is a dynamic leader and was able to keep her team engaged during all the turmoil. We've discussed leadership on this show before, but in this episode, we hear about it in action. After recording this episode, I was inspired to go to my bookshelf to dive deeper into the subject of leadership. Two books caught my eye. How to Be a Great Boss, co-written by Gina Wickman, who wrote the groundbreaking business book Traction. The second book that popped out was Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It written by Carly Resler and Jody Thompson. Although the books on the surface have different approaches on handling employees, they share the following key elements. Hiring the right person for the right job, trusting your employees, clear goals and expectations, and accountability. There's a tool in How to Be a Great Boss where you can analyze your staff on how they demonstrate your company's core values. It's sort of a rating system, a plus and minus. Now, this is a trademark tool, so you'll have to buy the book for all the juicy details. But through their score, you can see if they are the right person for your organization and if they are the right fit for that particular job. In the book, they call it SEAT. This tool can help you determine if they're the right person 
but they need to be in a different role or a different seat. The book also emphasizes having predictable meetings. These are meeting rhythms to keep everything on track. Now, I can tell you from experience that meetings with your staff on a regular basis really build stability. This is even more important now when people are working from home and they don't see each other in the office. Now, you might be thinking, Heather, I hate meetings. If I have to go to one more meeting, ugh. You know what? That's probably because the meetings you attend are inefficient and a waste of time. We've all been to those. But if they're run correctly, then they can be the foundation for your staff to connect and collaborate. With a distributed workforce, these meetings are even more important. Another key element in the book is as a boss, your expectations must be clear and driven in four key areas. Roles, core values, goals, which they call rocks, and measurables. This method allows you to easily sift out the wrong fit employees because the ones who can't live up to the expectations generally quit. If you've read Traction, then this is a good companion piece to dive deeper into the subject. If you run an agency, you probably run your firm with an emphasis on at least some of the measurables listed in this book, especially the ones around time, such as billable hours, utilization, and overtime hours. But what if I told you that tracking time is totally bonkers and attending meetings should be optional. What if your employees were allowed to come in at noon, check their email, and then catch an afternoon movie? This sounds sort of nuts, right? Like something out of office space. But what if I told you this could be for reals? What if your employees were free to do whatever they want, whenever they want, as long as they got their work done? In the shockingly titled Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It, the use of time tied to performance is the antithesis of their method, known as ROW, which is an acronym for Results Only Work Environment. As someone who has come to despise tracking my own time, this totally appeals to me. But being an accountant who uses time to calculate labor efficiencies and pricing This kind of borders on chaos, at least in my gut. It makes me feel kind of queasy thinking about it. As a business owner, if you have a labor force, whether it's contractors or employees, this book may seem extreme, but I want you to keep an open mind. If you gave your employees complete control over their own time, would you feel comfortable doing so? If not, why? Is it a trust issue? Do you think they're just going to screw around? Do you think they're not going to do their work? Do you think that they'll just, uh, what? Or is it a training issue? Do you feel like, well, without management's guidance, they won't know what to do. They might feel lost. They'll just spin their wheels and not do anything. Or is it more of that old school thinking that that's just not how it's done kind of issue. You might be saying to yourself, well, I have a flexible work schedule for my employees. Well, according to this book, that's an oxymoron. Because when you are using ROW, the results-only work environment method, there are no schedules. 
What? Here's how they break it down. Now, they compare a flexible work schedule to a row method. With a flexible work arrangement, permission is required. Think about that. It's flexible, but if they want the day off, they still have to check with you, right? The employee has limited options. They're still controlled by management. They must abide by the policies and guidelines. And their focus is on time off. And their workload is high demand with low control because you as the boss are still in control of it. But in a results-only work environment, it breaks down like this. No permission is needed. What? Options are unlimited and fluid. Employees manage themselves. Okay, is your mind blown? However, here's the thing. There is an emphasis on clear goals and requires accountability. So see, they're not going to be just screwing around. The focus is on results and their workload is high demand, yet they have high control. So see, they're still doing a lot. They just have more control over what they're doing. This is how Roe is majorly different from the typical workplace model. In a results-only work environment, people are no longer paid for activities. Instead, they are paid for outcomes. That's what we want to do as entrepreneurs. We want to be paid for outcomes, right? That's like that whole like value pricing and stuff. Rather than paying your staff for a chunk of time, you're paying them for a chunk of work. Expectations must be crystal clear on what needs to be done daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Then it's up to the employee with coaching and guidance of management to meet their goals. It's key to note that the employees are not left high and dry. In this model, management acts more like a mentor than a dictator. One of the major benefits of Roe is that people feel less stressed out. For instance, if they come in at 1030 in the morning because they took their kid to the orthodontist and then they have to leave Thursday afternoon to drive to the coast for the weekend, nobody cares. Because they control their time instead of wasting it, workers are more efficient. Yeah, they don't want to waste time while they're working. In this model, workload is transparent. Everyone knows what the other is working on. They know exactly what everyone is trying to accomplish and they know what they're being measured on. Open communication is vital. For employees, Roe may seem like a utopia. But for management, does this feel more like a dystopia? As leaders, though, if you're open to the concept, I really truly believe you can implement this. You just have to have the right foundation for Roe to thrive. Just like in How to Be a Great Boss, the key elements are to find your right fit employees who align with your core values and are in the right job position. Goals have to be crystal clear and there has to be accountability. Now, what do you think about the Roe method? Does it sound like a dream? Can you picture it as a reality in your business? Obviously, Roe isn't for everyone. But if you're interested in exploring Roe for your company, we can dive into this together through a strategy session. 
Just follow the links in the show note to set up a time. In our session, I will provide an objective view while examining your situation. We'll tackle the pros and cons for your firm and discover if your company has what it takes to move towards implementing Row. Now that you've heard about the two books, here are the titles again. How to Be a Great Boss and Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It. If you've ever read either of these books, I'd love to know your thoughts and opinions. You can DM me. I'd love to know. In the show notes, you can find my Instagram account and the links to these books. All right, guys, are you ready to pivot? I know you're tired of pivoting, but here we go. Pivot fatigue and what you can do about it. Here is my lovely guest, Julia Becker Collins, who is such a dynamic leader and who sets a great example on how it should all be done. And to top it off, she is a badass female who idolizes Ruth Bader Ginsburg. All right, here's my conversation with Julia. Julia Becker Collins, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. Yes, and you are wearing your lovely animal print top, which we've been talking about. And you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg blanket in the background. I do. I've already asked you the story behind that, but it's so great. I'm making you repeat it. Can you just tell the audience (laughs) about it? So my husband bought me that blanket when we turned this bedroom into my home office. It's her face on a throw blanket. And if anybody goes to my social media, you'll see lots of photos of it in my background. And the design is made up of the words of her three most popular dissents from the Supreme Court. Like I was saying to you earlier, I am huge fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, giant fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg since like high school. So it was the perfect gift to get me. And my dog is even named Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And you have an action figure of her as well. She slays with her words and she can kick Superman's butt. That's what I think. Oh, yeah. My (laughs) husband is really into all the different superheroes, but he knows that she rules in our house. Besides being a fan of the notorious Ginsburg, can you tell the audience just a little bit else about you and your background? My name is Julia Becker Collins. I am the chief operating officer at Vision Advertising, which is a 100% woman-owned, woman-run, full-service marketing agency. We're based outside of Boston. We also have an office on the West Coast outside of Portland, Oregon. I have been doing marketing, leadership, people management with nonprofits and for-profits for more than 15 years. I have been working with this agency for about four and a half years now. And I came on board as vice president of marketing and operations with the trajectory to take over as chief operating officer, which I did about two and a half years ago. Our CEO retired two and a half years ago. She founded the company. She did an amazing job. Anybody who has done anything for 18 years, you're going to want to take a break. She specifically recruited me for the position to take over. I have an amazing team of people that work for me. Not only do we do great work for our clients, but I have a real belief in leading a very specific way, transparent communication with your staff and your clients, and just being really authentically yourself when you lead a company. 
and being authentically yourself in terms of who you are in your career. And I try to transmit that to my staff and have them have the most enjoyable experience possible because you spend so much time at work. In addition to what I do professionally, I'm also an endurance athlete. I run ultra marathons. I'm training right now for a 50 mile race this summer. I also weightlift, do cross training and CrossFit. I'm trying to do a 300 pound deadlift. That's my new thing. And we have the pandemic puppy, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and we have two rescue cats, Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. And we live a quiet suburban life. Wow, that is a lot. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back for a second. How much are you lifting? Did you say 300 pounds? I'm training to be able to deadlift 300 pounds. Right now I can deadlift 225. Whoa. Oh, wow. Okay. So deadlift, does that just mean like you bend over and you pick it up and put it above your head? Not above your head. So it's straight arms picking it up off the ground. When you see those like really muscly guys pick up huge weights off the ground and just stand up, that's a deadlift. Now, do you drop it or do you gently put it back down? It depends on how heavy it is and how tired you are. I've done both. Wow, you're a powerful woman, not only in business, but with dead weight as well. Wow. This last year with COVID and all the things that happened, the things happening politically, things happening in the environment, all these things, it has been the year of the pivot. And I know we are all so sick of that word pivot. Ugh. Yeah. We are all having pivot fatigue from this pivot. Exactly. And it just keeps going. Things are changing, but we're still going to have to adapt and survive and certainly Over the course of this past week, with all the weather that's going on in various parts of the country, obviously, global warming is going to have a major impact and people are going to continuously have to pivot. You have had to pivot quite a bit last year as well. Can you tell the audience a little bit about how you've pivoted not only in business, but personally with your health? Sure, absolutely. Last March, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts really shut the whole state down for the pandemic. We, as a company, have not been back into the office since then. We made the decision that it wasn't safe as a small company to be in that kind of small space. And that while it's not ideal, it's not necessarily what we want, but it's the best decision for the safety of the whole company to have everybody work from home long term. So we transitioned an East Coast and a West Coast office from being in person to being remote over the course of one day. (laughs) We basically sent everyone home, take your laptops. Luckily, we're cloud-based. So it's not like you have to take a server home or anything like that. We set everybody up for success to work from home, but then you have to create a way for people to still be able to communicate, see each other, have that bond between the team. You used to be able to just turn your chair around and talk to somebody, get the answer you needed, have like a little scrum of conversation. We can't do that anymore. We also used to host workshops in our conference room. It was a real lead generator for us for sales. I would do public speaking at conferences, et cetera. It's another lead generator for us. Obviously, all of that stuff. So how do you pivot the lead generation, your sales, the needs of your staff, making sure you're meeting the needs of your clients? Just under half of our clients were in restaurants. They were really having the hardest time, whereas just over half of our clients are in professional services. They have a completely different set of needs. That's lawyers and accountants and hazardous waste removal and just a whole other set of needs. How do you take a staff that has really been upended in terms of their day-to-day, set them up for success, make sure they feel heard and supported and have what they need, 
and then make sure that they can support their clients and do what they need to do. And it definitely took some creative problem solving. I don't a magic bullet for that. I think it really helps to start from a place of we had really great structures in place beforehand and amazing communication. We are a company and I am a leader that really consistently beats the drum of transparent communication, tell us if you need anything, raise your hand and say, if you have a problem, tell truth to power, et cetera, et cetera. And because we really have a company culture that is based around that, and everyone can have a good idea. It doesn't have to be me. It definitely should not be the Julia show. We had a real collaborative experience of pivoting. So it wasn't that I had to come up with all the solutions. I had to come up with a lot of solutions, but not all. That is really great. The staff really took it upon themselves to help the clients. They wanted to make sure that they were authorized to do extra work, which is great that they ask those kinds of things. But I think it's fantastic that they want to help. I think that's amazing to have a staff that is really so invested in your clients and their needs that they want to do more for them. And so we spent weeks and months trying to turn the ship that way. In terms of sales, we went from in-person workshops to doing webinars Instead of doing keynote addresses, I speak on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So that took time to figure out. But I think within a couple of weeks, we were switching from doing workshops, to doing Facebook Live, et cetera. And people were so desperate for any kind of human interaction. The leads were still there. Personally, what was happening at the same time was that in March, I was going through a personal health crisis that went from March to May, which is really the height of the pandemic and the lockdown. I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so while trying to turn the ship of the company and pivot, I also was trying to manage, almost project manage, my own health, getting all the testing done, trying to navigate the red tape and bureaucracy of this crazy world we suddenly found ourselves in where nobody knew what to do. And really the whole state was shut down and I couldn't get the testing done. And then I get the diagnosis. And then I need to schedule my surgery and radiation, et cetera. But then also I need to hand over complete leadership of the company to other people for a period of time because I cannot lead a company while I go through the immediate treatment. How do you craft a crisis management plan, an interim leadership plan while you're in a separate crisis? Now, looking back on it, we're a year in, which is crazy to me. Not that the pandemic is a blessing, but it was almost a blessing in disguise because everyone had shifted their perspective so much that everyone was used to things being so abnormal that it was like, okay, whatever you need, which is great. And now that I'm back to work, there's no expectation of me being in in in-person meetings or showing up at 7 a.m. for that networking or wearing real pants because nobody does that anymore. (laughs) It definitely took a lot of work. I spent a lot of sleepless nights trying to craft a transition plan. I had a lot of long, hard conversations with my staff because I wanted them to feel supported and for them to understand, listen, this is going to be hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Everyone's going to have to do extra work. Nobody is excited about this, least of all me, but it's temporary. I'm not leaving. This is temporary. You need to do this for three months. Just suck it up. This is not fun for anybody, but this is what you do for everyone and everybody. I have to say, it's one of those moments where you pat yourself on the back as a leader and say, I hired correctly because the whole staff stayed. Everyone put in extra work. Everybody made it work. And then I came back part-time and my staff didn't pressure me to work more. Nobody pressured me to work more. Even the clients were really respectful. 
And I just think one of those situations where you have this circumstance, it really the people around you, the systems you've created, you can tell if your work has been successful because it'll reflect back to you in those moments. And luckily, or because of hard work or because of chance or whatever, we were able to come through that. And now it's however many months later and my staff still with me and my clients are still with me and everybody's incredible. So two weeks ago, I was having a really hard time because I was going through some additional treatment and my staff basically told me to get lost for a week, go take care of whatever I need to take care of and come back. They're just incredible. And I think it not only speaks to good hiring and good training, it also helps them become better leaders which I think is often lost in these kinds of circumstances. There are opportunities for people to step up and do more. You actually don't need me as much as you think you do. You can do more than you think. Sounds like you're a tremendous leader because that is the key to leadership is that you lead a team, but they feel inspired to lead as well. Hey there, this is Heather. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, if you wouldn't mind, please hit the subscribe button now. That way you'll never miss an episode. All right, now back to the podcast. So you were able to make it through all of this by having such a dynamic team that really stepped up. I think a lot of times when business owners think, oh, I got to work remotely, are my staff actually going to be working? Can I trust them? Will they just be goofing off? Obviously, they just haven't hired correctly because it sounded like that was not an issue for you at all. I really think that there's this idea now that huge companies are coming out with these thought pieces saying, we're not sure if people could be trusted to be working from home, or maybe they should, we can trust them to work from home, but maybe they need to have a dress code, or we need to have these mandatory meetings at certain times. I've seen all kinds, there was a piece in Forbes, I saw something on LinkedIn, Salesforce put out something, and I'm just sitting here and I talk to my staff about this and I go, am I on another planet that I don't understand how this is crazy? And they're like, no, we think this is crazy. You hire correctly, you hire adults, you set high expectations, you make sure they have what they need, you support them, you motivate them correctly. Everyone has a different motivator. You create the right systems for them. You help them help each other and help the whole system. And then the work gets done. You don't track their hours. You don't ask, what are you doing today? Unless they need help with something. You don't criticize what they're wearing unless you wake up and it's bedhead in the staff meeting. Like it's hiring correctly and it's giving the tools to the leaders so that they can be the best managers possible. I think there's this crazy idea out there that when you promote somebody into a position where they are suddenly managing somebody else, that they'll have this innate ability to be a manager. And there's a real difference between manager and leader. And you can be both and you could be great at both or you could be bad at both or you could be good at one. People that are good at a certain job are not necessarily good at people management and it's its own skill and it's not taught. With your business, you've been able to keep your team as a team and be engaged. But one of the big issues with COVID has been that people feel so remote. They're working from home. They're not in the office like you were talking about before. You could kind of swivel your chair around and be like, hey, talk to somebody. But now you can't do that. How are you keeping your team engaged? Is there a certain kind of software that you're using? I know people are doing different chats and things like that, but it's difficult to keep engaged. 
It is. So we tried a couple different things. We tried more group video chats. We tried more group hangouts, whatever. The things that I have found to be more successful is in the before times. If I had a one-on-one meeting with a staff member, sometimes it would end up being on the phone because I'd be on the road and I'd be between meetings, et cetera. Now, all of my one-on-one meetings are video. And it's camera on. I don't know what companies are running these crazy things where you can choose to turn your camera off. It's camera on. In our company, camera on for all meetings. You can't have camera off. We also do every two weeks, we have an all hands meeting. Again, it's camera on. Everybody sees each other. But we don't start the all hands meeting with a dive into, okay, let's go to clients. It's probably half an hour every two weeks of like, how's your dog? What's the weather like? It's not 10 minutes. It's half an hour. You know, just talking. I have a girl on my staff that just went on maternity leave and she keeps texting me because she wants to know what's happening with the staff. She feels out of the loop. What's happening in Alex, in Oregon? What's the weather? Everyone's so now engaged with each other and they want to know what's happening because we had, for lack of a better term, mandatory video check-ins. You have to see me. So you can say you're fine, but don't look fine. So what's going on? And it's not the work necessarily, because now you're home all the time. Is it like too much being home? Is your dog annoying you? Is your wife annoying you? I'm not a therapist, but your home life affects your professional life. Check in. And then they, as a staff, are also checking in with each other. And that's something that happened organically. I didn't tell them to do that. That's something they do. It's not like we sat down and said every third Thursday is a happy hour, show up with a drink, and it's required by Zoom. If I go through one more Zoom happy hour, I'm going to lose my mind. It's more that you don't say, I'm tired this morning, so I'm going to switch to a phone call. No, it's always video. I could look crazy and still have my hoodie on because I haven't gotten dressed yet. But it's always video. It's always a life check-in before a work check-in. And it's always making sure that people are doing okay. Because this is not a normal situation and people aren't going to be productive if they're not doing okay. It makes people want to do more for the company and be more engaged in the company, having that human connection, especially when your leader, your boss sees you as a person and not just somebody that pushes paper around and gets a job done. Because you are in marketing and advertising and you've been in this business for a long time, there has been lots of pivots just because of technology. What are some of the ways that you stay on top of all these things and how do you differentiate the trends versus what is the next hot thing that you need to jump on? Now it's like, okay, it went from TikTok, now it's Clubhouse. Oh, how do you keep up with this stuff? So I just gave a webinar last week with the Better Business Bureau. I did a whole thing about if you chase the trends, you're just chasing the new shiny object. And you're not actually going towards what is going to serve the goals and objectives of your business. That's not to say something like TikTok or Clubhouse wouldn't serve the goals and objectives of your business. You're not making a decision in a strategic way. One of the things I talk about when I give webinars or what I talk about when I talk to potential clients or anybody is you need to start from a place of why are you doing this? Why are we talking? Why are you taking valuable time out of your day to have this conversation with me? What triggered you to reach out? What triggered you to sit in this webinar? What isn't working? Okay, and then go backwards further. Is the foundation okay? Do I have the capacity for more business if the marketing works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, great. So then who am I selling to? Where do they make buying decisions? What platforms are they on? 
And who do I want to be selling to? Now, obviously, this is a huge oversimplification, but once you can answer all of that, and these are a lot of the topics I go through in the webinars and seminars I present, once you can do that for yourself and you can internalize that as a leader, you can say, okay, I am trying to sell sweaters to Joan in Arkansas and she's 45 and she's white and she's married and she has two kids and a dog. That's just an idea in your head. So is she going to be on TikTok? No, she's not going to be on TikTok. So I'm not chasing after that, but she might be on Clubhouse. Okay, let me think about this for a second. How would I sell to her on Clubhouse? Is that a valuable use of my time? So when you know who you're selling to and where they make buying decisions, you can determine if the new trend, the new hot thing is going to work for you. So rather than just chasing the shiny object or doing spaghetti marketing, as I like to call it, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, which is a huge waste of your time and your money. And time is the most valuable resource you have. You can never get it back. You can earn your money back. You can never earn your time back. Rather than chasing things, this allows you to make strategic decisions based on your goals, your budget, and the whole objective of your business, rather than what somebody told you to do. I like that, because I always feel pressured whenever there's something new out. What other pivots do you think are coming in the future? Like I was mentioning before, we have environmental things that are happening, but as far as getting strategic about what might be next, do you have any recommendations for people either in marketing or advertising or just in business in general? I think that we as business leaders need to start thinking long and short term about what the next stage of your business is going to be based on the pandemic. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know. Is there another phase? Is there a partial reopening? It depends on what state you're in. In Massachusetts, we're not open at all here, but other states they are. And I have no judgment about that. It's just the reality of doing business. So if you do business across the country, how do you do business based on the state of the pandemic? If you're not thinking about that, then you're missing an opportunity. And you should be thinking about different changes you need to be making based on different possible situations that could be coming based on the pandemic. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's going to affect you as we have seen. So if you're a restaurant, what if it's a partial opening and then it goes backwards? Okay, did the decisions you made before work or would you do something different this time? What if it's just everyone's open for business? Let's all party in Hawaii or whatever, which sounds amazing to me. But then what decision do you make as a business? Do you start running drink specials? Do you do like a new happy hour? What is the next thing you do? Because if you don't have it in the chamber now, it's going to take you too long later. And that's happening in the next year or two. And when I say that specifically, maybe things are open for business this year, but it's not going to be 100% because I already know things are canceled this year. So we're not going to be back to whatever normal is, maybe till next year. So you should have a 2021 plan. I would break it down based on quarters and different situations. And then I would have a 2022 and a 2023 plan because the more prep you do, the more ready you'll be for a changing situation. And then you won't have as much pivot fatigue because you're not going to have to consistently be thinking on your feet. Oh, we've seen this before. Oh, we prepared for this. I know exactly what I want to do. I already talked to my vendor, et cetera. That's just looking at the changing landscape of business and economics in the country and internationally. I think one of the best things that companies could be doing right now, and this is just business operations and management, is if you don't have SOP, Standard Operating Procedure for Crisis Management and Communication, whether you are a one-person company or a 300-person or a 300-million-person company, you should have one. 
because what if this happens or something like this happens again? Oops, sorry. What do you do? Right? What do you do if something else happens? Will you be prepared for what you need to do with your servers or how email works or what communication you're allowed to do? Do you have a crisis management plan? It doesn't have to be a 15 page document. It could be a one paragraph or bullet point thing, but don't say you didn't go through it before, right? We have a webinar that's all about transparent communication during a crisis. We previously did one that was hands down one of the most popular webinars we've ever done. And you could say that has nothing to do with marketing or you could say it has everything to do with marketing. But I will tell you that how you communicate to the public about a crisis or during a crisis will 100% impact your business through sales and marketing. I would definitely invest in crafting that plan. When is this webinar? This sounds really great. I love that you're asking that. If you go to our Facebook page, we're Vision Advertising on Facebook, and you go to the event tab, it'll have all of our webinars. We do at least one per month, and it's totally free. Oh, really? So is that part of the Vision University that's on the website? It is another one of the free resources that we offer. It is a business boot camp. So we are offering those for the next few months. They're one hour, quick and dirty, intensive Facebook Live seminars that I put on with some Q&A at the end if there's time, but it's all on Facebook Live. It's just me talking to you. There's no slide deck. There's no annoying presentation. It's me going through a lot of the things we've seen and people can ask questions in the comments and I try to do a decent amount of engagement. That is really awesome. If people want to get a hold of you, we're going to have information in the show notes, but where is the best place? Where do you hang out? You can find me personally on Instagram. I am at Julia Rifka. That's J-U-L-I-A-R as in Rachel, I-V as in Victor, K-A. You can find Vision Advertising on Instagram at Vision Advertising Rocks because we do. We also list all of our upcoming webinars and professional development seminars on our Instagram page and in our story. We're also on Facebook. Like I said, I really encourage everyone to visit our Facebook page because it has a full listing of all of our free and low cost webinars and also links to a variety of blogs and white papers that are all free and available to the public that has just a huge wealth of information to help businesses right now. And I just wanted to add, I had reached out to you on LinkedIn and I was like, I just want to make a human connection. I'm not selling you anything. In fact, I hate that whole thing that people just try to sell. You as being a marketing and advertising person, can you just tell the world why that is a wrong way to approach sales to try to sell something through LinkedIn with a connection you've never met before? So it's called a cold call or a cold approach on LinkedIn is where you don't know somebody. The worst is when somebody sends me a connection request with no note and I've never met you and I have no idea who you are. That's an automatic, absolutely not. Sometimes I get requests from people and it has a obviously copy and paste note that they're sending around to people. And it's not personalized whatsoever, which is like 101 sales to not do. It's if you're applying for a job and you kept using the same cover letter over and over again, nobody's interested in that. They want to see that you took the time to look at who they are. I get cold sales emails all the time. I get cold LinkedIn requests all the time. I think I don't respond to probably 85% of them, but every once in a while I do because if somebody really takes the time to be like, I looked at your website, here's what I saw. Here's how I think I could help you. Or if you could introduce me to this other person and it's hyper, hyper, hyper specific, no canned information. 
then I'll probably respond. But then that's the opportunity for you to continue to engage in a really personal way. Because I've also had the experience where somebody does reach out with a lot of personal information, which is fantastic. But then I get the canned response after that. You're either invested in a really personal conversation, which is how I have found the best success in selling. And I have found the best success in buying because people buy from people don't buy from companies. Please don't tell me about the features and benefits of your product. I'm not interested. How can you help solve my problem? Every day I get somebody on LinkedIn that's just trying to sell me something. And I'm like, you don't even know who I am. It just feels so icky and gross. I think it's also, unfortunately, how salespeople are being trained or not trained. Hit so many marks per day, you have to send out so many emails, you have to whatever. It's a very old way of doing things. Yeah, exactly. Stop doing that, people, whoever's doing that out there. Julia, this has been so great. Thank you so much for taking time to spend with us and tell us all about your pivots and all of the great things that you've been doing at your company. We'll check out all these wonderful webinars. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was fantastic. I really loved our chat. Hey, this is Heather. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you found value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a rating on iTunes or just simply tell a friend about it. And if you're interested in learning more about my profit advising and coaching, please set up a discovery call by using the link in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much and see you next time.